Well, this is new. Yeah, so new that I'm not even going to play the theme song that has been with the Corey Truax show for nine years now as I begin to rethink and remake whatever it is we do here. I, I will I will say of myself, the, I make the joke often, the Lord didn't give me much in terms of talent, but that thing he did give me was spoken word. I like to make complex things simple. I like to make mundane things that are important, more entertaining, more innervating. This is what I do. and I, I've been able to do it on stages and in the microphones for a long time, and now I get to continue doing it in some some new format. I'm thinking about lots of things in the coming months, maybe even moving over to video, doing YouTube, stuff like that. I, I know me and my elder brother, and also one of the elders of Beachwood Church, we have been intending, if life would stop getting in the way, <laughs> intending to get together to do some uh, some broadcasts that would be more like Facebook Lives about Southern Baptist Convention coming up. There, there's this feed will be home to what, whatever we record there. This feed will be home to what Cody Fields and I are doing with our cultural conversations. There will be a lot of things coming through. Uh, this feed, you can probably tell if you looked at the episode length like we always do. My suspicion is I'll be doing more things more often, but they will be shorter as we go. So while I'm still going to call this episode 344 of the Corey Act Show, it's in some ways episode one. So welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts, but not right here on his radio talk as they have moved on to a new format. Just a few topics for you this week, and really, it's just the stuff that's been in my newsfeed or going through my head uh, as they have hit me. That's often what the show was, really. Things that occurred to me that I thought someone should say out loud, and hopefully in a unique way that you're not hearing just everywhere else. So I'll start with this. As I'm talking to you, it is Good Friday. We are in the Holy Weekend as we are coming through the end of Holy Week. And I, I hope that will I hope that will make your days look different. I will say I will say I admire uh, the folks over at Resurrection Church. I, I listen to the, the podcast where their pastor is, uh, Westminster Doxology Podcast. They talk about this as Easter season. I like that language. I want to start using that in my own life. The same way that we say it's it's Christmas time, it's Christmas season. I want it to be Easter Easter season, Easter time. That really the beginning of new life is this weekend. The inauguration of something new altogether. As I'm about to preach in 2 days. The inauguration of some uh, uh, the inauguration of a category that really didn't exist. You know, the, the Jews had a category for resurrection that in a last day, in an end day, all would be resurrected, all the people of God. There'd be something new. But the idea of individualized resurrection, making things new, making making the dead alive, and I think this is one of the big points I'm going to make Sunday, not uh, resurrection as consolation, but as uh, as a true reconciliation or as a true... Uh, the word I'm going to use Sunday is now escaping me, but I have a I have it written down somewhere. But the the idea is, uh, for so many religions, eternity is a consolation for the pain you had here, for the suffering you had here in this life. So you go on, go on to get some kind of comfort for it. That is not what Resurrection Weekend is about. It's not comfort for the suffering. It's that the the check is being written and signed that all things will be restored, all things will be made right. Not that we're just going to be made to feel better about it. 
But what was lost will be found. What was dead will be made alive. That's this weekend. So I hope it will be marked differently for you that, you know, it's already passed now, but Maundy Thursday, where we recognize a lot of things, the Last Supper, Judas's betrayal, or his decision to betray, but often the Maundy Thursday uh, vision or its image is Jesus washing feet. Washing feet of men who will either deny him, betray him, or uh, the word is when you abandon, abandon, abandon him. They're going. One will betray. One will deny. The rest will abandon him. Just hours from there, and in his fullness, he's fully God and fully man, and his fully Godness. He knows that, and washes their feet. There's a, a meme that goes around that says, "What would you do if you knew you only had?" One final day, well, Jesus did know, and he washed feet. It's, a, it's at least something to to think on as we live in a really contentious time, a time where the self is above all else. You've got to take care of you. It's your, your highest good is to take care of you. And at a time even inside the church, people that I like seem more and more open and justified of being mean and angry to secularists and leftists and to, to leftist ideas and secular ideas where there's a, a cantankerousness that they're very comfortable with that we, that we at least feel the balance, the tug towards love for our enemies, feel the balance, the tug towards serving those who even hate us, as we're going to talk about just a little bit with the Nashville shooting. And then there is Good Friday. I've been dwelling on it all day today. It's I didn't have to work today because of the holiday. My wife is working, so I've been at the house doing some work and getting ready for Sunday, but dwelling, reading the accounts of the crucifixion. As I got to preach recently, the the purpose of all of the brutality and gruesomeness is not the brutality and gruesomeness of the cross. The physical pain wasn't the point. It, it is to point us to something greater, it, it, it was surely excruciating. It's actually where that word excruci, excru- cross, it was, it was terrible. But the, the thing that was worse, that the whole narrative points us towards, is that Jesus was experiencing the wrath of God as depicted on a cross, but what he was experiencing internally and spiritually and metaphysically was much more excruciating than what was happening on the cross. It is indeed a Good Friday. For all the redeemed, it was on this day, a couple thousand years ago, that all of the punishment due my pride, my dishonesty, my idolatry, all, all, my, all of my sins punished. Yeah, it's a good Friday for me. Then we will turn tomorrow to Silent Saturday. Trying to imagine, I know I will try to, imagine what that would have been like. I mean, Jesus crucified, depending on your your timeline, I respect everyone's timelines here on whether he was crucified on a Wednesday or if, just bear with me if you don't agree with what I'm saying, get the essence, not the thought, the, don't get into the, uh, the weeds. If he is, if he is, he dies on Friday morning. We or how how we would think of Friday morning, and is buried fairly quickly, so as to not be 
you know, the, the Sabbath, Friday night, which would sort of be day two of him being dead. It's Friday morning, him is dead. Sat- Friday night is another day to them. It starts something new, Saturday. And then going into Sunday morning, day three. But that 36, whatever, four, whatever, how many hours it is of just dashed hopes. I, I heard a, a sermon here recently about the crucifixion because everybody's sermon fees on their podcast are doing crucifixion sermons. One person theorizing that in the garden, uh, in the garden where, where Jesus has his starts his passion, Gethsemane, when Judas comes and betrays Jesus with a kiss and Judas finally, this is Judas thinking, he finally sees Peter grab a sword, Judas actually does start to think, yes, this is what I was looking for. Now let's fight even off these Romans. We can't prove Judas was thinking that. But Judas all was already part of a sect of sectarians. He was already part of a, a band of rebels and wanted to overthrow the Romans and ultimately is dis, disenchanted with Jesus' way of doing that. He, he probably wanted a fight. And it wasn't just Judas. Like I think if Judas based his life on trying to get, get rid of the Romans and started following Jesus around for three years. Peter, Andrew, they left their, their, their fishing business. You know, they, a lot of hopes and dreams were settled on this Jesus becoming king. Just weeks before, James and John are fighting over who gets to sit at Jesus' right hand. They have visions of grandeur for themselves, and everything collapses. It's worth trying to imagine the listlessness of our brothers and sisters during that intermittent time. Being listless, without direction, not knowing where to go. And then that gives way to the joy of Resurrection Sunday. You know, I, where I'm going to preach it from in the Gospel of Mark, if you don't go, if you don't take the last uh, nine through twenty verses nine through twenty-one are, are not in the earliest manuscripts, and I will not be preaching those verses because I don't think they should probably be in your Bible. But uh, the way Mark leaves it is he he leaves it without ever seeing Jesus. You he just you just get the empty tomb. It's just the women going to the tomb. It's empty. You know what's happened. And then because Mark is a great writer, he uses the term for fear that the women were greatly afraid. That's how Mark ends, by the way. Mark's account ends with them just being afraid. He uses the same word that was used several times in his, in his gospel when people were just astonished and knew they were in otherworldly power. And the, the disciples were afraid when Jesus calmed the storm. The woman who had an issue of blood had fear when she was healed. Uh, there was, uh, the third one is, escape me at the moment, but, oh yeah, it was when Jesus cast the legion of demons and the people, the, the legion of demons into a pig, into pigs, and the people there were afraid. That word is not how we think of afraid. It was recognition that whatever's happening here is so much more than I thought. There is more majesty, there is more power here than I could imagine, and Mark's account ends there. In this empty tomb, there is more majesty and more power than I imagined could ever exist, and it's overwhelming. It takes your breath away. It's Holy Weekend, and I wanted to spend the first third of the show this week getting you to think through it. And now, because there are no commercials, I don't even know how to transition. So as we figure the show out, maybe I'll get better at it, but here we go. The other thing, some other things in the news or in the headlines in all of our Facebook feeds, Twitter feeds, Instagram feeds that are of, uh, or are of note. 
For me, it is largely what happened at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, now about two weeks ago, which I'm sure you know by now. Three nine-year-olds. Just got to sit in that for a second. Three nine-year-olds. I've known some nine-year-olds in my head, my two big, strapping, strong 19- and 18-year-old nephews. Uh, they are very vividly nine in my head. We got that age group at Kids Church at Beachwood. Three nine-year-olds shot down. Three other adults that work there at the school. And before we do any discussion of the topic, it is first good just to stop and join in lamentation. I try to do that anytime we talk about a shooting, any kind of mass death event, whether it's our Christian brothers and sisters, or if it's an ethnically, in the past when it's been an ethnically motivated shooting, whatever it is, it is good to stop and mourn with those who rightfully mourn and be in that lamentation. I think it's good, actually, that it's been two weeks since I've had the chance to talk about it because the the pace of talk show is, a bad thing happened, talk about it right now. We're, the healthier thing is, a bad thing happened, let's slow down and process that and feel through it. Um, Maybe even if you need to press pause right now and think about that, you can, and then come back. After the lamentation I have for you, just one, two, three, four, five, five things I want to say about it, and two of them are very closely related. Number one, I'll go fast on the first one. Of course, the first thing that happens when there is any shooting is guns, 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 guns. We want uh, folks on the left want to do something about guns, assault weapons bans, whether an assault weapon was used or not, or, or night uh, or not, or uh, uh, universal background checks. You know, even for, for example, the way I bought my gun, I, I have one. I think I have one. I bought it from my big brother. Are we? T- you telling me that's what? That's what needs to happen? Is we go to a federally licensed dealer or something, and brother can't sell a brother a firearm without the federal government being involved? That's of course arduous to say the least when it comes to liberty. But in any event, I just wanted to present not necessarily a new thought, but revisit an old thought about the gun debate. That I'm go- I'm going to start doing this now with people I disagree with on the topic. I'm going to start doing this. So are, we are in agreement. We really want mass shootings to stop, right? We want there to mass shootings at schools, mass death events that people use guns to do. We really do want those to stop. We agree with that together, right? Okay. You think I'm? I don't even want to argue with you. I'll even concede the point. I. I don't actually concede the point, but for the sake of discussion, I'll concede the point that if you got your way. And you got to ban your side, whatever, whatever an assault weapon is, whatever de- definition you put on that. You get your way, you get to ban them. And you get your background check universal. You get basically whatever you want in terms of, uh, let's say if you got what you want, it would work. Let's say, let's say it is the perfect solution if you got whatever you want. Now, you're not getting that. In a country with a Second Amendment and judges that know what it means in the way that law is made, that you need supermajorities to do basically anything at the federal level, in states that are, I mean, there's lots of states that would not give you your way. Listen, I'm even going to grant you, if, if you got your way, you could solve the problem, but you're not getting your way. It is, there's a 0% chance. So now, you can pout, and you can get angry that you're not going to get your way, or you can come back to the table and start asking, well, what can we do? 
you can't get your perfect solution, and we both want kids to stop dying in school and mass shootings to stop. So what can we do? You spend the $6 billion or whatever it is, and you put armed security in every school. This one's not even hard to me, guys. The logic is there. We protect, we protect important things and people with guns constantly. I mean, I, I join with other critics that talk about uh, media people on TV saying we've got to take all the guns, that adding guns to the situation makes things more dangerous. And while they're sitting there, their buildings are being guarded by men with guns. The adding of guns to their facility did not make it less safe. It made their media facility more safe. We're, we spend money on all kinds of stupid garbage. It is utterly worth it to just spend money at the federal level. For that matter, just mandate it. You know, just mandate it in all kinds of ways through the Department of Education, through the federal government. Like you, you can't get whatever federal dollars you would otherwise get unless you guys figure it out. Local school districts and state state budgets, you guys figure it out. But we got to stop having mass shootings at schools. And the way you do that is how this one ended. This one ended by cops going and killing the person. That's what's going to have to happen. And Because you're not getting your way. We're not eliminating guns from society. They're going to be there. So we need other people with guns to take care of the problem when it arises. Okay, so that's one thought on guns. That's how I'm going to start talking about it now. Even if you got your way, sure. If you got your way, it would work, but you're not going to get your way. So now what can we do? Two, a word on sympathy. It is worth noting that the culture at large seemed to express more sympathy for the killer than the victims. It is worth noticing. I try not to be a partisan of sorts, but it's worth noticing that the administration, the federal government's administration, both the press secretary and all their social media feeds, never actually said anything about standing with Christians or feeling sympathy for the Christian community. But they did say so about the transgender community. It, it is true that they were joining in with this movement saying there are seven victims that day because the transgender person was also a victim. I don't know how. The transgender person was a killer, a murderer of children, a murderer of nine-year-olds. No, not a victim. But it's worth getting that, that piece of scripture that I might be using out of context here, and if I am, someone call me out. But in Matthew 24, as we're talking about you know, end of things, end of all things, Jesus, well, actually not, I'm sorry, talking about the end of Jerusalem. Maybe I am using it out of context then, where he says, the love of many grow cold. It does feel like that about this this culture, and even in this this particular administration. Love has grown cold. There are dead Christians, and they couldn't possibly care less. They want to talk about guns and how bad they feel for the killer and how bad they feel for the murderer. Allie Beth Stuckey said it, said it cleverly. Believe people when they show you they hate you. It's, it's something worth considering. Three, it is obvious at this point transgenderism is a massive mental disorder that we are spreading through social media to young children. And we are obviously not treating it correctly. Even as I'm talking to you, it just broke that out of Colorado on March 31st, another transgender person was arrested because they had made credible threats to start shooting up schools and churches and now has even admitted to it. And this person is got a notebook full of suicidal ideation, is obviously unwell. For that matter, the killer in Nashville, while 
committing murder was trying to commit suicide. That's what he, I can't recall what way the person transitioned. I think the person was born a woman <coughs> or born a girl. This girl, this woman, said to someone that day, I just need to die. And one of the ways people choose to die is suicide by cop. They go do something terrible to get someone else to shoot them for whatever terrible reason or they can't shoot themselves. We have we actually have at least two other transgender shootings in the last few years. We're talking about less than 1% of the country has an outsized share of shootings. This is obviously a mental disorder that for decades we were treating with drugs and talk therapy and instead of, instead of doing it that way, for no good scientific reason, we just said, nah, we're not treating the mind anymore. You, let's start cutting stuff off you and pumping you with hormones. Let's do that instead. And that has been, it has led in part to the highest suicide rate of any subset in the country. You can't possibly argue that the high suicide rate is because people don't accept transgenderism. It's more accepted, it's more visible than ever, and they're still killing themselves at higher rates. It's about time to admit transgenderism is a mental disorder that's killing people and killing themselves and start treating it as a mental disorder, not something to affirm and celebrate and tell they're, they're great and then all start cutting things off of them and pumping them with hormones. That's adding to the disorder. Four, rhetoric matters a lot. When we are dealing with an already emotionally unstable country, and we are, high anxiety, high depression, lots of drugs to treat those things out into the system. When activists say people like me are committing genocide against transgender people by talking, by saying words that we don't affirm them, that we're committing acts of genocidal erasure, we're erasing people with our words, yeah, you might get some unstable folks that respond with, uh, with some violence. Talked about this many times before. It happens on right, left. It happens in religious circles and irreligious circles. When the rhetoric elevates and escalates, people's responses are obviously going to get, the intensity of response is going to match the intensity of the rhetoric. And so all of us have a great deal of interest in diminishing the intensity of your rhetoric. Number five, just on the concept of persecution. For Christians, because this was a targeted attack against Christians. Secularists like to mock Christians in the West as pretend victims. Like something something will happen to a Christian, so go Barry Nell Stutzman, the florist in Oregon, or Jack Phillips, the, the baker in Colorado, or just generally Christians are treated poorly, and secularists like to make fun of Christians. Like, you guys aren't persecuted, you guys aren't... Uh, aren't the victims. Well, one, definitely we are not victims. We are more than conquerors, right? So I don't ever want to live in victim mentality. But it is it is admittedly frustrating. We are the only group that can get mass shot up. And the knee-jerk reaction is not sympathy towards us, but towards the person who killed us. What other group is that happening to? There's a... A general just acceptability. Sorry, it's not a word. Acceptance. Acceptance to mock us, make fun of us. That's fine. We're the great butt of a joke. You can't use any other group, though. In some ways, I guess what you can expect that in a secular culture, but it is just a, it's just a frustrating reality. Like, well, yeah, there's some persecution happening. It's nothing like happening overseas. Nothing like this historic persecution. But it's annoying being, tell, being told by your persecutors that you're not being persecuted. It's just an obnoxious thing. I want to mention one last thing on that. 
So yeah, we are in some ways violated, persecuted, all that. It's important for me to say out loud here, when our ancestors were persecuted in very real ways by the Romans, they didn't respond like Romans. They didn't return evil for evil, aggression for aggression, or harsh word for harsh word, or violence for violence. We have the weirdest movement, guys. We respond to violence with grace, to harsh words with kind words. We respond to hate with love. Uh, That is not a call to let people harm you or your family, but don't fight like the Romans. They hate you. Don't hate them back. We love our enemies. You can protect yourself, but love your enemies. I said I wanted to keep it to 30 minutes. I had two topics, so I'll do this last one. I saw bemoaned in a lot of right-wing media that some man who tries to make himself like a woman has been uh, honored by Bud Light in some way. They gave him like a can with his girly face on it and said nice things about them. Like the guy's not a spokesperson for Bud Light, but they in some way honored him. And we also just passed apparently something called the Day of Trans Visibility. There was a, a Women's History Month, which followed Black History Month, which Black History Month could actually awesome can be awesome. The concept can be awesome. So can Women's History Month. They can be if we do them correctly. But ultimately, trans uh, Women's History Month ended up being about men who think they're women. And I saw it not just from Bud Light. I, I saw bemoaned on the right this guy who thinks he's a girl getting Bud Light to honor her or him. But this is super normal. Like I, I saw it everywhere. Like it, it's just on the like, you turn on uh, the s- screensaver for Roku. And you're going to get some kind of propaganda there for leftism. You're going to get it from every company everywhere. And that's the one point I wanted to make about secular leftism and what Christianity might not learn is a weird word, but in in one way model or emulate. Secular progressive leftism demands to be everywhere. We sang in church recently the old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and it has that line, Uh, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That is supposed to be the Christian life. The response to Jesus is my all. He has a, there's nothing I hold back from a king this good. But we have multiplicated our lives where my, my money life is mine, my internet life is mine. My ideology, my political ideology is mine. How I vote is mine. I really don't want Jesus touching these things over here. So he demands my my soul, my life, my all, but I'm keeping some back because I don't like what he's going to ask me to do with them. But the, the demand of Christian life is everything. Leftism makes the same call. Give us your everything. We want the businesses. We want the government. We want the banks. We want the lending system. We want the social media companies. We want everything in our image. To be clear, secular progressive leftism is set up as an alternate kingdom to King Jesus. When those kingdoms collide, Jesus will ultimately be victorious. And in this life, we can be victorious over this secular kingdom. But again, I don't think we're going to do it in the ways a lot of people want to fight right now, which is aggression and cantankerousness.
I had one more thing I wanted to talk about. I'll save it for whenever I'm back on the mic later. I do want to say this as well. Uh, thank you for all of the messages, texts, and emails with the encouragement as we try to do something new. There's a couple of you in particular. I am so sorry I have not responded to your texts uh, and a couple of emails as well there. It's been a whirlwind since we went off the air. I went on a long vacation in New York City. Uh, it was. There's been a lot. And plus, it's, it's Easter season. I'm preparing for a sermon. There's no excuse, but there is a reason why I have not responded. Uh, so in, in any event, I'm going to try to get back to all of you, and we're going to continue to improve whatever this looks like in the coming uh, in the coming weeks and months. If you have ideas on what the show should be like, I am grateful for that. Uh, and you can, just, you can share those with me at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my weird name, Corey Truax. I don't know when I'll be back next, but I will be, Lord willing, with something of whatever's going on in the world or whatever's on my mind. Uh, it's also, yeah, it's Easter weekend. If you're listening to me and you're not part of a, a church, you're, you're invited to Beachwood Church if you're around the upstate of South Carolina, but there's plenty of good, faithful churches. Use Easter. Use Resurrection Sunday to get back into that very important discipline of being a part of a church body on Sunday. I'll be back with more later, and I can't be any more specific than that. Until then, everybody, peace and love.